I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and it's that time once again for the Jack Riccardi Show. I, I think I just heard Ruth say, drink up. <laughs> Did you hear that? Yeah. What? <laughs> Is that what uh, we've come to? She didn't say what, though. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I don't need to be told. It's Friday, you know. I, I thought I was supposed to wait till after the show. Um, <laughs> so... Just uh, kind of an off-ball, uh, oddball question. Um, what is the thermostat setting this time of year at uh, your house? Uh, about 78. Yeah, that's about what I do. You know what the average is for Texas? No. 75. Ooh. I mean, my wife will go up to 79. She's from Spain where they open windows yeah. and it's yeah. hot as you know yeah. what. Yeah. So it's it, it's up there. But 75 is... Um, that could be some strain on the grid. Seventy, yeah. I mean, seventy-five is is what apparently uh, the average household in Texas in summertime. And um, this is, of course, they get those warnings that they're doing right. CBS is making those robocalls and yep. telling people to conserve and all that stuff. Uh, so we're going to ask people today on the uh, JR poll, uh, "Where's your thermostat at?" Um, and we're going to talk about a lot of things. And welcome to our show. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy Father's Day weekend to one and all. Happy Father's Day to the fathers and your father if he's with us and uh, heavenly wishes if he's not and all that good stuff. I guess I should say all the people who are fathers. Okay. So there was a story in the uh, Washington Times about the crime wave in Washington, D.C., and they had a, they had a big meeting about uh, what can we do. They invited all these people from different walks of life. They had police, and they had uh, uh, politicians, and they had uh, people from the clergy and, and business community, and this big this big confab about what do we do. And, and you know what they came up with? They came up with the idea that we need fathers to step up. And I'm reading it, and I, I mean, I don't think anybody fell out of their chair in surprise when I said that, right? But I'm reading it, and I'm, I can't help but think. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for fatherhood, and fathers are, are incredibly important. You don't have to tell me that. But I, I thought, isn't it interesting how fatherhood gets denigrated, demoted, um, the culture preaches that, that women don't need a husband, that children don't need a father, uh, in the popular culture, the father is always the biggest imbecile in the household, um, et cetera, et cetera. Not to mention the current enforced, you know, confusion about men and masculinity. And then when the chips are down, who do they need? Who do they call? It's kind of like in a, in, a, in a family, like our country is like a family. Like dad gets overlooked and ignored and unappreciated until somebody needs something fixed. Or money, or, you know, right? Then all of a sudden, oh, Dad, can you help me change a tire, right? It's, it's like our society is doing this, this cycle of pushing Dad away and then trying to pull Dad back in. So the arrests are way up, uh, juvenile crime is way up, um, and it's a crisis. And the answer, according to local leaders in the D.C. area, Fathers and father figures are needed. Maybe you wouldn't have to have a meeting and wouldn't have to put out the call for fathers if you hadn't, um, you know, crossed them out in the first place. I'm just just pointing that out, you know. Uh, Tim Scott is the latest um, candidate for president to condemn 
The Los Angeles Dodgers' decision to honor the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, a group of drag performers who mock Catholic nuns. Um, this is the night, tonight is the night at Dodger Stadium that they're having Pride Night. And uh, remember the whole, if, you, if you've forgotten, just real quick, this was the, this was the, the, the chronology of this. Uh, back about, I guess, a month or two ago, the Dodgers announced they were going to have a Pride Night event at Dodger Stadium. They uh, invited this group, which is infamous in the L.A. area for really, really kind of uh, tasteless, insulting mockery of Catholicism in general and Catholic nuns in particular. These are men that, uh, you know, dress up in, in, in nun drag garb and then uh, do things like um, mock crucifixes and, uh, you know, present the uh, Eucharist to one another in alternate ways. So there was a couple of weeks of outrage. The Dodgers said, we have uh, decided against having them at the event. Then they got the outrage from the other side, sort of like Target is getting now, and they reinvited the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence deciding, I guess, that they would rather anger the Catholics and other, you know, sympathetic Christians than anger the LGBT uh, community. If, Which, again, I'm not even sure this is representative of the LGBT community. But in any event, so Tim Scott came out and said, um, this is an outrage and we should be disappointed in the Dodgers. It's shameful. It's disgusting. And I was thinking, good for Tim Scott, and thank you, but we actually have a Catholic president. Isn't it interesting that, that, that Joe Biden is not the one saying this? Remember how often Joe Biden was Catholic when he was running for office? Remember how often he told people and reminded people and had these heartwarming anecdotes, and he'd tell these stories about being called Joey by this parent and that uncle and... It was always Joey this and Joey that and Joey the Catholic and Amtrak Joe and all this stuff. But now that he's in there, um, it's like uh, we don't have a Catholic president. I mean, you got to admit, right, if we had a Jewish president and somebody was doing something blatantly offensive to Jews, that, that person would absolutely be speaking up. And I don't know if this says more about Joe Biden or if it says more about American Catholicism. And I'm, I'm sorry to say this because I am a Catholic, but um, it, it is really, it's a stunning state of affairs that this has been playing out for, what, about a month and a half, and we have a Catholic president. Another uh, baseball player has spoken out against this, uh, Washington Nationals pitcher Trevor Williams says he will team up with the prayer app Hallow um, in admonishing the Dodgers and praying uh, during this event on Friday night, uh, tonight. So uh, a lot of Catholics will be praying the rosary during this event at, uh, at Dodger Stadium. You know, the thing about Joe Biden, if you think about it, is um, he has all these affiliations, right? Like he has all these ethnicities. He claims to be Irish. He claims to be this. He claims to be that. He's claimed to be Puerto Rican. He's claimed to have been raised with Jews. He's, he's claimed 
that he was part of the civil rights movement. He, he invokes his Catholicism from time to time. He'll say anything just to get by. And I think that's why he was the perfect person for the left to choose as their Trojan horse in 2020, because if you chose someone that had their own compass, they would keep running into the conflict of, well, you want me to take this position, but I believe X, or you want me to say one thing, but I believe another. And Biden doesn't have a core. It's hollow. And the Trojan horse has to be hollow, right? That's the whole, that's, that's the way the Trojan horse works. I want to play this for you. This is Joe Biden in the 20, uh, 2008 vice presidential debate. He's, he's running as Barack Obama's uh, vice presidential running mate. Uh, this is the, the election um, where it was uh, Obama versus McCain. So Sarah Palin is the VP nominee for the Republicans. And he gets a question about gay marriage uh, in this debate in 2008. Take a listen to this. No, Barack Obama nor I support redefining from a, from a civil side what constitutes marriage. We do not support that. That is basically a decision to be able to be left to the face and people who practice their face, the determination, what you call it. But as president, we have the Pride event at the White House. We have Transgender Day of Visibility back in March. Uh, the Pentagon is um, having drag events on bases and Navy ships. He, in 2008, clearly, crisply, no, I don't support it where he is today what happened what happened and not that people don't change their minds about things but that's a change of mind a change of heart a change of a vision and values that you'd have to kind of explain i mean it's the it's the kind of thing you'd want to explain if you had really changed that much you'd read a book about how much you'd changed and and how you changed and now we have a guy who's going around saying that he was for gay marriage back in the 1940s remember he told that story about he was with his dad and they saw two men kissing and uh, Joey, they, they're just in love. That's another thing about not only Joe Biden, but the modern American left. Have you noticed that? The, the modern American left can't just say we have this um, extreme position or this uh, viewpoint. They always have to act like it's always been that way. Biden can't just say, well, I've, I've changed my mind and now I support all these things. He has to tell us he supported them in the 1940s and 50s, which nobody believes. And we do this with everything, right? Like pride... Where where did that come from? I do not remember until this year, this month, being so um, uh, front and center. I'm not saying this is the first year we've had Pride Month, but, I mean, it, 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 we're acting like this is a, a rich American uh, tradition. Let me, let me share this with you. Wakefield, Massachusetts is a uh, town north of Boston. It's a suburb of Boston. It's a pretty, pretty nice town, pretty affluent town. And they're, fry, they're flying the uh, pride flag over uh, town hall all this month. The flagpole at the town hall has the, the pride flag. Only the pride flag. And the plan was that they're going to take it down on Monday and put up the Juneteenth flag, which I didn't even know there was a Juneteenth flag. By the way, Juneteenth is another one of these things that, I, I understand the history of it, but it all of a sudden became 
a much bigger deal with no explanation. I guess after George Floyd, right, we, we, we pivoted to Juneteenth. Juneteenth is about the slaves in Texas finding out that they've been emancipated. That, that's what it is. How does that make it a national holiday? Why are they dealing with it in Massachusetts? Anyway, back to the story. So they're, they're going to take the pride flag down and put up the, the uh, Juneteenth flag because Monday is Juneteenth. So somebody went to the town council or whatever it's called and said, could we have the American flag on the flagpole just for Flag Day, which was, I think, what, Wednesday, right? Wednesday was Flag Day. They were not asking for much. They were asking for the American flag, the Stars and Stripes, over an an American town hall for one day. It should be there every day. Could we just have it for one day, take down the pride, hold off, Do you know the town council voted it down? We have somehow gotten to the point where there's there's a month for pride, but in Wakefield, Massachusetts, which they now call Wokefield, they didn't have a day for the flag. And again, we are acting like this is normal. People are going along with this. People are sitting quietly. People are like, oh, okay. But you know you're wondering... You know you're wondering, where, where did this come from? I don't remember this. I mean, even the thing with Juneteenth, I, I'm not against the history or teaching history, but it would almost make more sense to commemorate, you know, the achievement of a famous black person than Juneteenth. Juneteenth is, is a very obscure, um, sort of randomly chosen thing to highlight. I mean, why don't we have Harriet Tubman Day on, on Monday or, or, you know, George Washington Carver Day? If you really want to shake people up, we could have Clarence Thomas Day, although I know that would never, they, they wouldn't vote that in either, I'm sure. But anyway, I, I just, it, it, it's, it's very interesting how at a time when religion has been denigrated and parenthood, all these bedrocks and pillars of civilization, oh, we don't need them, we don't need them, but, but, but we have these things that are brand new and everyone has to pretend that they're just traditions. We've always done this. What, what's your, what are you saying? Why are you, why even bring this up? It's just, it's just Pride Month. Like it's the most normal thing in the world. 210-599-5555. And by the way, it only works, this, the thing it, with the Dodgers, all of this only works because a lot of people who are offended or don't feel right about it think, well, I better be quiet. I better just mind my own business. I don't want to get in trouble. That that's what's happening, right? If we're if we're going to be brutally honest about it, this isn't this isn't about hating anybody. This is about just saying, hey, I don't get it. Where is this coming from? Why are we doing this? I actually didn't know there was a Juneteenth flag till I read this story about Wakefield, Massachusetts. Um, and there is it's uh kind of red, black, and white, or red, white, and black. Um, it's got a big white star in the middle of it. Um, I don't know the. The origins of it, I, I doubt it goes back to Juneteenth. That probably is something that was invented in our in our era. Uh, but you know, imagine you're you're an American town. You're in you're in the state that calls itself the cradle of liberty, where the American Revolution began. This is Wakefield, Massachusetts, and you can't. There isn't there isn't time for the American flag. We don't. We can't fly it. We're, we Don't you know it's pride? Now, pride's not a nation. Pride's not a government. 
Not yet, anyway. And people, people in the town said, "Could we just have an? Could we just have the American flag on Flag Day?" Which is kind of scary enough in itself, right? Like that's that's really not asking for enough. That seems that seems very um, overly modest. Please, could we just have one day? Like normally, groups that want their flag flown for one day are obscure groups or unofficial entities. Like maybe you'd say, "Could we have the POW MIA flag for one day?" Or could we have you know this, that, or the. But, but, I think how many places have flown the Ukrainian flag in the last two years? And they took a vote, and it wasn't even close. No, we we are not putting up the American flag this month. Don't you know? It's Pride and Juneteenth. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. We were talking about uh, this a little bit yesterday. Uh, the singer and actress Demi Lovato announced that she is. Um, reverting back to her original pronouns, she, her, because it's too exhausting. In other words, it's our fault. To explain her, they, them pronouns. She had come out a couple of years ago and announced that she'd been working on herself and digging into her psyche and she had this big announcement. She made this big announcement. Take, Take a listen to this. This is how she announced it, cut number two. I want to take this moment to share something very personal with you. Over the past year and a half, I've been doing some healing and self-reflective work. And through this work, I've had the revelation that I identify as non-binary. With that said, I'll officially be changing my pronouns to they, them. I feel that this best represents the fluidity I feel in my gender expression and allows me to feel most authentic and true to the person I both know I am and still am. That was her announcement in 2021. A couple of things. I always, I, I always... Uh, worry when I hear somebody say I've been working on myself. That's never good. What follows from that is almost never good. It it actually is a good thing to work on yourself, but if you have to announce it, we're probably not gonna <laughs> we're probably not gonna like what we hear. But but the um the whole thing with pronouns. So she she's gone back to she her because we've let her down. We didn't we didn't get with the program. And I think we talked about this once before. The whole thing with pronouns is pronouns are how other people talk about you. You don't use your own pronouns because the pronouns are for other people. So you shouldn't be defining yourself by your pronouns because that's what other people say about you. Like, you don't refer to yourself. I don't refer to myself as he or him. I mean, those are my pronouns, but but I never use those words for myself. How would I? When would I do that? So there's something performative about the pronoun thing. People that make an issue of pronouns, changing them, wanting them listed on their emails, wanting them... I remember going to, you know, meet the teacher's night, and there were teachers that had their pronouns displayed on the on the door of their classroom... People that do that are requiring your participation in what they are personally feeling or experiencing. And I, I, I can respect that you're going through whatever you're going through. You're having whatever experience you're having. You're, you're having whatever thoughts you're having. You worked on yourself. You've delved into yourself. You had a conversation with yourself. But the performative part of it, the, the need to... 
um, involve other people. And now it's morphed into, so at first it was, you know, declaring them and, and letting everybody know. And then it was, hey, you need to use them. Then it was scolding people for not using the right ones. And now we're firing people for not using the right ones. Uh, there was a story in the news about a guy who worked for a tech company in Florida. His name is Chad uh, Short, or Shorf, I guess. If I'm saying it right. He was a big, like a major executive, like a vice president in this software company. And um, the company had determined recently that all employers should uh, include their preferred pronouns in their company profiles. They have a, like an online messaging thing that they use within the company and with clients and customers. And, and he said, well, I don't want to do that. I'm Catholic and I don't believe in the pronoun thing and I, I just don't have a pronoun preference. I'm just... I don't believe you can choose your sex, et cetera. Um, they fired him. So how did we get from, I just want to change my pronouns, to everyone must say my pronouns? And how is that progress? And, um, you know, like with, with Demi Lovato, I mean, what is her conclusion that the world is just not ready for her? We're just not good enough. We just couldn't, couldn't cut it. We, she gave us two years, and we just could not learn them. This is crazy. This, you have to call this out. This is not, not okay. This is a far, far cry from just, hey, we should respect each other, or if you don't understand somebody's differences, just let them be, just move on, live and let live. I mean, we're way past that. That used, to be this, that used to be the gold standard, right? If you were a live and let live person... Everybody was like, he's cool, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't bother anybody. He doesn't have to understand you. He doesn't have to agree with you. Now we've got this mandatory, you must perform my script. Everyone has a part. Read your lines exactly the way I wrote them. Yeah, I mean, you know, I would venture to say that uh, most flagpoles in this country whether they're freestanding outside of a public building or uh, on top of a building, were put up to fly the Stars and Stripes. It's quite a moment when there is no time for the Stars and Stripes. We don't, we can't accommodate that this month. You'll have to have some other month. We can't, can't do it with the pride flag. You know, a, a, the flag of your country is not like other flags and banners. Like in other countries, they might have banners for the the soccer team that you root for or, or, or the, the region you're from or the uh, you know ethnic group within that country that you're a, a member of. But there's something about the flag of a country that's supposed to be in a class by itself. And in our country, it's more important maybe than in others because um, we come from all over. We don't have a shared DNA. We're not all of one blood, of one flesh because of, of our, you know, being drawn here or our ancestors being drawn here from all over. And so uh, it, it's, a, it's really when you, we've gotten so used to this that we don't realize what a statement it is to replace the flag that is supposed to represent all of us or at least represent the ideal we, we would wish for our country to be, even if we fall short of it sometimes, to replace that with these factional flags. Because when you, when you put up the flag of one faction, you might make that faction feel good, but it's also a, a big middle finger to the people that aren't in that faction.
And the sports team analogy, I think, explains it well, right? If, if you suddenly saw flagpoles with the Aggie flag and you were a Longhorn, you'd be like, what the hell? What is this? We shouldn't be doing this. And it obviously isn't the will of most people, but it is silently, tacitly complied with. I think people are kind of shocked. They don't, they don't know where this came from. They feel like they missed a memo or a meeting because it seems to have come out of nowhere. Vaguely, they remember that it wasn't always like this. And, um, and then it kind of makes you wonder, too, like, are we saying, in essence, that we're not there isn't a national identity anymore. There isn't a, a, a singular nation. Are we just a bunch of groups kind of bustling and elbowing our way along like we're waiting for a subway train, you know, and we're kind of jostling for position on the platform? Is that what we are? We're just sort of squatting in this country? Like, well, you know, when we get more people, we'll uh, push to a better position and we'll shove these guys aside. But right now, they get more people, so they're shoving us aside. I mean, is that what it's come to? 210-599-5555. We're talking about that. We're talking about the pronouns uh, thing. Bud Light has announced, or the CEO for Anheuser-Busch has announced, um, a listening tour, according to Axios News, uh, the CEO has announced um, that he will begin uh, traveling around the country, um, meeting with Bud Light consumers and listening to them. Listening tour, I don't remember when that terminology started. I remember it seemed like several years ago politicians started saying, when they were sort of like doing the soft launch of their campaign, they weren't ready to officially say, I'm, I'm running for president or I'm running for governor. They would say, I'm going on a listening tour. And that was like, for, for us rubes, for us idiots out here, uh, hey, everybody, I just want to hear what you think. And I want you to help me uh, make this a better country or a better state. I'm a, I just want to listen to you. But, of course, listening tours involve politicians going and giving speeches to people. It's a listening tour. We have to do the listening. So this guy is going to go around. I'm wondering if um, it doesn't sound like it will probably help the free fall of Bud Light sales, but I'm wondering if it might have been a good idea to do the listening tour before you, uh, you know, partnered up with Dylan Mulvaney. Um, and, and people are saying, well, he, he should apologize first. I don't know of anyone. You can tell me if I'm wrong. I don't know of any former Bud Light or Anheuser-Busch customer who at this point is interested in an apology. Because, I mean, either this didn't bother you and you're, you're like, this is silly, I can't even believe this is still in the news and you're drinking whatever, or you've stopped drinking it and, and an apology from these people isn't going to mean anything. I cannot imagine there's somebody out there sort of, you know, fighting back tears going, if he would just say he's sorry, why can't he just say sorry? I'd feel better. Of course, an apology would be cheaper and a lot easier than having to fly all around into places he's probably never been and sit with the rubes and pretend to be interested in their lives. I guess we're the bratty people. Was that what he called? No, she called us fratty. That was right. I guess we're the fratty people that he now has to come and listen to. Um, so that's what's going to happen.
I guess next we'll hear that there's a Target uh, listening tour. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? 210-599-5555. Uh, I see where um, Vice President Kamala Harris uh, created a little bit of a stir with some tweets yesterday, um, including, Weapons of war have no place on the streets of a civil society. Congress must pass an assault weapons ban. President Biden will sign it. For one thing, it would be great if Kamala Harris talked the way she tweets. It was a clear sentence, complete sentence. The words are all in the right order, no giggles. I, I was kind of struck by the term civil society, right? I mean, some people would say, let's, let's talk about weapons of war. A lot of people reacted to weapons of war. We can talk about that, but let's start with civil society. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we don't have one. We don't have one right now. That's the Daniel Penny story and so many other stories like it. What does she think is driving increasing gun ownership? See, if you're a politician that wants to ban guns or ban some kinds of guns, you should at least be somewhat curious about why people who never had one are now getting them. Like, that's your target, pardon the pun. Because people that have always owned guns and grown up with guns and and are part of the so-called gun culture, they're not going to give them up. So Kamala Harris, if you wanted to do something about the, the, the numbers, the percentages, whatever, you'd be interested in people that are going out and getting their first gun for the first time in their life, learning how to, how to fire a gun. And that's because we don't have a civil society. Private gun ownership is an attempt to reclaim civil society. It's an attempt to at least level the playing field, so I can get from my job to my car or from my home to my business and feel like I've, I've got something to, to level the playing field. I've got, I've got an insurance policy in my pocket. So when you say they don't have any place in the civil society, people like you and your liberal ilk have, have wrecked civil society. Every place that you're in charge of, every city that you run, has become an uncivil place. It has lost its civilization. You're going to have more gun ownership if people don't think they can count on certain, like, uh, standards or uh, mores. People feel like things are spinning out of control. Because they are. As far as the weapons of war part, one guy tweeted back to her, I'll make you a deal. We'll ban all the weapons that you can show are used on an actual battlefield. And they always talk about the guns that we own as if wars are fought with the guns we own. And then somebody else pointed out, uh, regarding her tweet, weapons of war have no place in the streets of a civil society. Is that why we left $7 billion in weapons of war on the streets of Afghanistan? I I, I used to say this when Barack Obama was president. It's almost like they are trying to sell more guns. It, It isn't just the proclamations or the appeals for gun control laws. It's even the way they say it that sells guns, that drive, they used to say Barack Obama was like Lifetime Achievement Award for gun sales. 
And, and I don't doubt that that was probably true. Like, he probably was more instrumental in the selling of more guns than any president in history. But what, what, do, they, do they know they're doing that? Is that, like, is that like some sort of 3D chess move that I'm not getting? Because I really don't think you can ask people when they see what is happening around them to see it as a civil society, to see their choice of owning a gun or carrying a gun or just having one in their home, you know, just like, hey, if I hear something in the night. I, I don't think you can ask people who see what's going on to see it as a civil society. Like, oh, you're the problem. Your insistence on getting that gun is the problem. That's what we're all afraid of. Oh, we're out here having a civil society. And you're mucking it up with your trip to the gun store. Gosh, what happened to Kamala Harris? What happened to her? I mean, I know we've we've had a lot of chuckles. Remember the one about school buses, where she was talking about school buses? But I was thinking the other day, and I, I'm serious now. I'm, getting, I'm being serious for a minute. Kamala Harris used to kind of kick ass. Like, when she was in California, and she was the attorney general, uh, and before that, I think she was a prosecutor in Oakland, she was considered tough. Like, uh, she was a law and order Democrat. Remember, that was what, if you remember when she was running for president, and they had the debates with all those members, that huge Julian Castro and, and all these people, and uh, Tulsi Gabbard and Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, all these people. Remember, it was... It was her law and order position. It was how she was locking up pot users and stuff that Tulsi Gabbard dinged her on. So at one time, not very long ago, Kamala Harris was not a punchline. She was, if anything, considered kind of, you know, hardline. And now, like she did a thing. I, I didn't send you the audio, Don. She did a thing uh, at the White House for uh, for Juneteenth. And she giggled through the whole thing. I mean, she's la she's laughing like somebody that has been slipped something. Like if this was a friend of yours and they were acting this way, you'd be like, "Are you all right? Did you?" <laughs> like, uh, you know, I, I think somebody put something in your, you know, in your in your uh, apple teeny. You know, like you're, she's. It's the giggle of someone that is on something. I'm not alleging that because I don't. I have no idea. But is she on something? Are, are pharmaceuticals involved? Because she wasn't like this. She was, if anything, she was kind of stern. Like her, her, her political style. I only know this because being a political junkie and a political nerd, I remember watching, you know, the rise of her star in California, and you could tell she was eventually going to be either the governor of California or a senator from California. Um, but she, her whole mien was, I'm all business. Uh, law and order, lock them up. So she was, don't get me wrong, she was a Democrat and she's liberal, but she she had that kind of, um, we need to be, we need to have, you know, zero tolerance for drugs. No, we should not legalize marijuana, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And her, at least when she was talking policy, she was sort of stern and serious and like, I mean business. I'm the sheriff, you know. And she's turned into this, like, and I don't know if somebody told her, because I know politicians have image consultants and what have you. I mean, maybe somebody told her, hey, you've really got to lighten up, and she took it too much to heart. Uh, I mean, it's a little amiability, a little joviality is good in a politician, right? You should open your speech with a joke. Reagan did that. 
But I mean, Reagan wasn't like giggling all through his speeches. I mean, he didn't he didn't he didn't giggle when he said, "Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall," you know. And it's just weird. Uh, what what anybody have any idea what happened to her, uh, or what is happening to her? And she is one, you know. As somebody said on Fox the other day, she's one sandbag away from the presidency. You've been, uh, you're kind of our nomadic news newsman. You know, you've been in a few different places. Were, were you, can you back me up on this? I don't know if you were in California when Kamala Harris was her political star was rising, but my recollection is she was she had kind of a hard ass reputation. I mean, that's what that's what Tulsi Gabbard was dinging her about in the debates. You you lock up pot users, you throw away the key, you don't, and and, and she she's gone from being this sort of like all business, get down to business Democrat, to being this kind of giggly, doesn't do her homework, doesn't read the briefing papers person. I'm just wondering what, what happened and when that happened, you know? Well, I know Rush Limbaugh at one time called her a mattress. So I think that um, the more California, and yes, I was there when she We, we should probably explain what that uh, Yeah, means, I'm going right? to leave that up to you. But I just, okay, I'll explain in a minute. You, you finish <laughs> you know. what you were going to say. She was she was kind of that rising star, and it wasn't until after I had left California in 2009 that more and more started coming out about her, and so she actually started becoming more polarizing. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know exactly what goes on in her mind, uh, but the, the, the term, it's kind of a flip-flopper type of thing because she was pretty hard on the pot thing. We know that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then California passed, uh, I think, first legalized pot. That was right after mm -hmm. I left, I believe, and then recreational. So mm -hmm. there's a hypocrisy dynamic that yeah, I still know people in California, not really a popular figure. You know, if you go back yeah. to the Democratic primary in 2020, she couldn't even get out of that. No, no, she got not nothing. even close. Um, I think a lot of people like that are very unpopular in their own state mm -hmm. because we, we know them, you know, yep. we know them too well. And uh, it's it's easy for a politician to be more popular when he or she gets away from the people that have followed them a long time, and they can, right. you know, craft an image. I, the the mattress thing is a reference to the fact that, she, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that the the story is that she used her connections to powerful men, most prominently Willie Brown, who was the yeah. mayor of Oakland and the speaker of the California Assembly, that she had affairs with these men, and that they enabled or donated to. Uh, her political career and and that aside it's just that at one time she seemed like a policy person again maybe polarizing maybe not policies i agree with but now she seems to as a almost like as her identity she's just giggly well does it seem to you that she's almost being kind of hidden it's like okay oh, let's, like just, it's, let's just keep it's like her... she's concealing herself behind this Facade of well, giggles. I, I wonder if the if the Democrat Party is doing that because yeah. the the optics usually don't go very well. Again, back to the yeah. twenty twenty primary. This yeah. was not yeah. this was not a real popular figure that the party felt was going to get a bunch of votes. Do you remember right. there was a debate? Uh, she was. Um, she was accusing Biden of racism. I mean, right, it, it right. was off the yeah. charts. Like, what? And now they're yeah. running together. Yeah, she was telling the story so. about I, I was the little girl on that bus. That one, yes. I remember yes. that, and I remember Tulsi Gabbard really ripping her and yeah. pinning her down That's right. uh, on the pot sentences. Mm -hmm. uh, this is, I want to play this, uh, Christian, thank you. This mm -hmm. is what I was talking about before the news, before we got to Christian. This is the 
uh, Juneteenth ceremony at the White House the other day that Kamala Harris was emceeing. Take a listen to this. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Happy Juneteenth. Please have a seat. Please have a seat. Mm. <laughs> and to my divine nine family. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like I feel like I feel like somebody slipped something to her, and you you know you almost want to. <laughs> let's say let's we need to get her out of the club right now. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Jack Riccardi on KTSa. Alan Dershowitz uh, wrote a column entitled "Why Donald Trump Cannot Get a Top Tier Lawyer." I don't know how you feel, but it's bothered me ever since Trump was, I mean, from the earliest legal issues, the things he had going on with Stormy Daniels, you know, uh, Michael Cohen, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, and then, you know, having, having to rely on a Rudy Giuliani, who obviously is way past his prime, you know, he's not the, not the guy he used to be. And it just seemed like there were a lot of people working for Trump in very important, um, you know, legal proceedings who either were not good at their job or weren't good at explaining what they did, which is, you know, part of it, um, and and who didn't maybe even want to be on the job. Like, the day that he was arraigned and pled not guilty, he was represented by two lawyers who had already announced they were leaving his case. Which is, you know, that's not optimum. Anyway, Dershowitz writes this. There's a group called the 65 Project that has as its goal to intimidate lawyers into not representing Trump or anyone associated with him. They have threatened to file bar charges against any such lawyers. When these threats first emerged, I wrote an op-ed offering to defend pro bono any lawyers the 65 Project goes after. So the 65 Project has come after me, and he goes on to say they've trumped up or contrived some charges against him, Alan Dershowitz. He writes, there may be other reasons as well for why lawyers are reluctant to defend Trump. He's not the easiest client. He's turned down some of his previous lawyers as well as their advice. It will be a difficult case to defend, meaning Trump's case, and an unpopular one. Good lawyers, however, Dershowitz writes, generally welcome challenges, especially in high-profile cases. In this case, he says, the threats to lawyers who get involved are greater than at any time since McCarthyism. I recall during the 1950s how civil liberties lawyers, many of whom despised communism, were canceled and attacked if they dared to represent people accused of being communists. He's right about that, by the way. The, the, the history of that period elevates to almost sainthood people, the American Civil Liberties Union, groups and individuals that defended accused communists. That was considered the height of political, you know, um, or, 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 or I guess you could say legal courage. These were the hardest, most unpopular people to defend. The American people were afraid of A-bomb spies and Soviet sympathizers and war, you know, World War III could break out at any moment. We're doing duck and cover under the desks. And, and so it was considered laudatory if, if, if an attorney risked his reputation and or his firm 
to say, look, they des- I may not like communism, but they deserve to be represented. They have to be given due process. Dershowitz points out that John Adams, one of our founding fathers, one of our greatest Americans, represented, defended British soldiers in the Boston Massacre. He didn't do it because he sympathized with their cause. He did it because it was important to him that there be due process for those British soldiers. And uh, apparently he goes on to write that there is a lot, there are a lot of threats and a lot of pressure being brought against uh, lawyers that either have worked for or that are considering representing former President Trump. He writes, whatever one may think of Trump or the charges against him, all Americans must stand united against efforts to intimidate lawyers and chill them from defending unpopular clients. Um, I'd never thought of it that way, and that, that's very interesting. I, I figured it was mostly that Trump himself is really hard to work with. He doesn't take advice. If you tell him, hey, I don't think you should make any comments, he's going to make comments, you know. Um, but I, I hadn't considered that basically there is a orchestrated effort to see to it that if you, you you've, you're basically choosing between your career and being his uh, lawyer. In fact, there's a lawyer in the case that has been told by this 65 project, you will never be a judge. We will see to it. You will never be a judge if you continue with this case. At some point, you have to ask yourself, what's the real threat here? You know, we're told that it was incredibly dangerous for Trump to have documents or in an insecure way, et cetera, et cetera. That's the premise of the case, right? He, he, he wasn't supposed to have them, and his having them was dangerous. This, to me, sounds dangerous. We, we all assume, right? And I'm not talking about, like, the guys on television with the sledgehammers and the buses and the, and the trucks. I'm talking about just in the real world, we all assume that if we were wronged, wrongfully accused, injured, uh you know, done dirty by an employer, whatever, uh, cheated in a transaction. We all assume we could get legal representation, we would have legal representation. I mean, serial killers have lawyers. Serial rapists have lawyers. School shooters have lawyers. So... What should be worrisome to you, I think, because it's in the here and now. I mean, the papers were what they were, and we'll find out eventually what, if anything, they represented. This is this is happening, and this is a problem. And what do we have? What kind of system do we have if at any moment they can decide, well, yeah, we have due process, and we have the Sixth Amendment, and so forth, but not for you. You're an exception. Phone number's 210 210- Five nine nine, President Biden was in an event this week, and uh, reporters were yelling out questions, and they asked a question about the the bribery and the payments, and he had a uh, snappy comeback. Cut number one. Why do you ask such a dumb question? 
You know, it's very interesting to me. I watch all this, and and uh, traditionally, American politicians would uh, defend themselves uh, vehemently. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, right? I am not a crook. American people need to know their president is not a crook. Um, it, it's an interesting strategy to pretend that these accusations are funny. What Biden is basically telling us when he r- shakes his head and crinkles his eyes and, you know, gives us that, uh, oh, you silly rabbit look, what he's saying is everyone knows I'm so honest I'm such a good guy. I'm so absolutely rock solid that that is absurd. I would take money from a foreign government. I would be bought off. I would be the big guy in Hunter's business dealings. Listen to you. It's a bold move. You know, it's like everybody knows. I mean, <laughs> look at me. Um, there's a story today. Uh, uh, that says um, that this FBI whistleblower or uh, source in the redacted uh, document uh, is claiming that uh, not only did the Bidens get money from Burisma, but they coerced uh, one of the Burisma executives, that's the word that's used, uh, to pay the bribes. And um, this is uh, from that FD-1023 form that we've been talking about, and this happened around... Uh, 2016, so Biden's last year as vice president under President Obama. Um, the the conversation apparently was uh, along the lines of uh, this guy claiming he was coerced. Now, I understand that there's people in a lot of trouble here, and they're gonna they're gonna lie. I mean, the people that that paid Biden or allegedly paid Biden are in a lot of trouble themselves. And it's not like you can take everything they say at face value. Um, But if there was coercion or threats or people felt afraid, that would support the idea that you were keeping tapes. That's that's the kind of situation in which people then start to say, I'm going to have an insurance policy. You know, I'm going to. I'm going to tape record this guy, or I'm going to keep a recording of some kind. And and then we've been told, since we first heard about these 17 recordings, that they were meant as an insurance policy. So it does kind of fit. If there are tapes, the tapes were probably made out of fear or for protection. That would sort of point to the coercion angle. Um, But again, it's... Not good enough to say, well, what a dumb question. These are not, this isn't coming out of nowhere. This isn't like reporters are asking Joe Biden if he's an alien or, you know, uh, the the old uh, have you stopped beating your wife question that people used to use. This is at a level where um, if he didn't do this, he should be vehement. He should be specific. It should be very clear. I'm not saying he has to prove his innocence because you don't. That's true. I mean, you're innocent until proven guilty. But everything we know about human nature, everything we know about the the pride and the hubris of politicians tells us that they normally want us to believe they are 
totally above any kind of suspicion. I did not have sexual relations. You need to listen to me. The American people need to listen to me. Yeah, they're lying. But at least the lie sounds like, hey, I really don't want you to believe this. Biden is winking at us. They're, they're throwing the bribery thing at him, and he's grinning and winking. He's like, I, I will never really have to face the music on this. Maybe he's right. All around us, the intersections of space and time. Guess what time it is? It's Friday! On 550 and 1071 KTSA. Can I name a uh, star in the star registry after my pronouns? Am I allowed to do that? I don't know. Look into that. Guy needs to update those commercials, you know. That would that that would be a that'd be a moneymaker. Name a star after your pronouns. See that up there, kids? That's your star. Mm-hmm. Uh Father's Day is uh Sunday. Happy Father's Day. We were talking earlier about how they had a big uh, community meeting in Washington, D.C. to discuss juvenile crime, the explosion of juvenile crime. They put all their heads together, people from all these different walks of life, different backgrounds. And the, the result was we need fathers. And we could have told them that. Our society has really been rough on fatherhood, I think. You know, I'm not complaining about like Father's Day doesn't get the same... Attention Mother's Day does. I have no, no issue with that. I have no beef with that. I'm just saying it's interesting how when the chips are down, whether it's within a family or within a society, the great American family, we, we turn back to dad or we ask dad to bail us out or we see what dad can do. And that sums up, in, in essence, you know, fatherhood. Fathers are the backstops in a, in a household, ideally, if they are doing it. And in a society. I was thinking about my dad, and I was thinking about how I think about him every day. He's been gone 18 years. Um, and if you've recently lost your dad, I will tell you that it that loss just stays with you. I mean, you will you won't you won't always be as sad. It won't always hurt as much, but it will be felt and real. And you'll wish you could talk to him. I I think about all the times we did talk, and I think about all the times we could have, and I didn't. Um, and I started thinking about parallels, like he was the same age when I was born that I was when my daughter was born. And I realized a while back when I was cutting the grass that I still mow the lawn in the pattern that he taught me to mow it. Now, I don't know if you cut grass or not, if you're the one in your family that does that, but most of us have like a system or a pattern. There's no, there's no wrong way to do it, but it's easier when you have a pattern and you can just you know where you're going to start and where you're going to end up. And I still do to this day. I do it with leaf raking too. I still check all the doors and windows at night before I go to bed. He would go through the house... And just kind of, you know, he'd run his hand over the stovetop. He'd uh, make sure windows were latched. He'd jiggle the 
door handles, front and back doors. Still do that. I still, and I, and again, I, I know this is an anachronism. I don't know how many people do it. I still buy Kiwi shoe polish in the little flat cans. It's a, it's a lot more money now. And polish and, and shine leather shoes because my dad wore leather shoes to his job and he would tell us they last longer, they look better, you look sharp when you polish them. A lot of people just let them get dull or throw them away when they do, but still polish shoes. So I don't think fathers are supposed to create carbon copies or clones of themselves. They're just supposed to pass along those little things. And those little things add up and help you lead your family or lead your life. Uh, my dad was never really able to wrap his head around what I do for a living. He he, he didn't disapprove of it. Well, he, he did disapprove of it for a while because... I think they wanted me to be a doctor. This is a pretty far cry from that. But um, I, I'm pretty sure he never really could understand how you could just do this every day because he was a very uh, quiet man. But he, I mean, he listened to radio, but the idea of being on and just talking uh, was, I might as well have told him I was, you know, going to live on Mars. Although he did do something, and I and I guess this is the parallel. I don't know if I've told this story before or not. My dad was very opinionated and very up on current events. And he would write letters to presidents and senators and public figures on issues of the day. Um, and he kept the letters that he wrote. He kept copies of the letters he sent. And then he would collate any responses he got and he had these big three ring binders that he put these letters in and i remember going through them years later when i when i was old enough to appreciate that and didn't think it was weird he'd write a letter to lyndon johnson about the vietnam war and then he'd have the letter that came back from the white house i mean it was a form letter but um and his letters were very passionate and they were about war and drugs and taxes and corruption and and then he also wrote letters to the editor of newspapers that that was a big thing before the internet before everybody had a platform you could write a letter of opinion i mean you still can but it was a more prominent thing and he would write letters to newspapers in our city and even other cities and he got a lot of them published i guess that was his show in fact people would ask me sometimes when i was on the radio and they heard my name, they'd say, are you Are you related to that guy that writes those letters? I definitely am. Summertime 1984. I'm coming off my freshman year of college. President Reagan's running for re-election. The top ten hits from this week in 1984 would make a pretty good little playlist. This is... This is where we were this week in 1984. The number 10 song in the country was Madonna and Borderline. A couple of Detroit acts in the top 10, Madonna being one of them. 
The number nine song in the country this week in 1984 was off Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA album, which I remember standing in line for a record store to get the day it came out. Number nine, Dancing in the Dark by Bruce Springsteen. The number eight biggest hit in the country this week in 1984 was the Pointer Sisters. There's also two acts in the countdown that come from the Bay Area. Pointer Sisters started out in Oakland, big in the 70s and up into the mid-80s, like this song here, Jump For My Love. The, the Pointer Sisters did so many different kinds of music in their career. This is a fun fact about the Pointer Sisters if you want to win a bar bet. You know, they were kind of an R&B, dance, disco, top 40 act. Their first Grammy was a country Grammy. You can look it up. First Grammy they won was for country music. Uh, pointers at number eight. Number seven was the great Laura Branigan. song called Self Control, which was a huge hit for her. Remember, she'd had that big song called Gloria um, a couple of years earlier, but in 1984 it was Self Control by Laura Branigan. Uh, back to uh, the Bay Area. Big band from San Francisco was at number six this week. Huey Lewis in the News, the heart of rock and roll. Radio listeners listening for their city to get called out. All these call outs. And uh, Huey Lewis in the news, Heart of Rock and Roll. I, I had the the great experience of having them perform live in the radio studio along about 1988. We used to do a thing called Live at 55, which was a they would perform one song live and then do an interview on the afternoon show. And uh, it, was the, it was not this song, but uh, it was a great, great experience, great, great group of guys, uh, great interview. So that's number six. Number five was the band Night Ranger with Sister Christian. The number four song in the country this week in 1984, again, back to Detroit for Steve Perry and O'Sherry. I remember hearing this song. Pouring out of the speakers of many a Cutlass Supreme in the summer of 1984. Oh, Sherry by Steve Perry. Duran Duran is on tour right now. They're in Tampa tomorrow night. They're touring with Sheik and Nile Rodgers and Bastille. And they have uh, this song at number two on This Week in 1984, The Reflex. But the number one song... In this country, for the second week in a row, this week in 1984, belonged to the one and only Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lauper had an album called She's So Unusual. This was the second hit off that album. I'm trying to remember, it was Girls Just Want to Have Fun, 
time after time. Was it, I think it was Shebop and All Through the Night. I think those were all on this album, I'm pretty sure. Number one again for the second week, time after time. Pretty song. It was a good year for music. It was a good year for a lot of things. Uh, 210-599-5555. That was 1984 this week. Uh, the NBA's made it official. John Morant of the Memphis Grizzlies has been suspended for the first 25 games of next season for the gun-related videos and incidents. And um, It's interesting. Uh, I don't know how much sports radio or television you listen to. I, I'm kind of a fan of it, and I listen and watch it. And um, There's a lot of debate about John Morant. First of all, there's a lot of concern about him as a young man who I think is in trouble. Um, and I, as somebody that really loves watching him play, I just hope that he's going to be okay and that he doesn't get himself into worse trouble or get himself killed. But I, I noticed there's, there's really a, a dichotomy because there's a lot of people that defend him against the NBA punishing him on the grounds that in the states where he is seen holding and brandishing a gun, he's not actually breaking the law. And it's weird to hear people on the left grudgingly admit that his behavior is legal. But the NBA, like all professional leagues, is a, is a law unto itself, right? And and so he he is in violation of 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 the NBA, he's in violation of, you know, image and, you know, contractual obligation and what have you. Um, but I, I, I still think, I mean, I can't prove this or anything. Um, I think what you're seeing in John Morant is kind of a snapshot of what we were talking about earlier with fathers and young people needing more structure he 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 grew up with a father he grew up in a in a you know pretty nice home he wasn't he didn't come from some poor background but obviously something is missing in this guy's life and hopefully he straightens it out because he is quite a talent speaking of sports television have you heard this uh with pat sajak retiring from wheel of fortune espn's stephen a smith has put his name forward as a replacement for Pat Sajak. Can you see that? Stephen A. Smith hosting Wheel of Fortune. He says he loves the show, has always loved it. His mom watched it. And he, in his, uh, in his autobiography, he talks about how close he was to his mom, is to his mom. And anyway, um, he just when he saw that the job was available, he said, I, it's not that I want to give up my day job, but I would really like to add that to my resume. And I think they, if I'm not mistaken, I think they tape game shows like Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy and, you know, Make a Deal and so forth. I think those are all like taped like two or three days out of the month. It's not really a, a lengthy commitment of time. You just do a bunch of episodes all at once. And he says he could do it. The leading candidate is Ryan Seacrest, for what it's worth. I think I'd rather see Stephen A. Smith, but we'll see. It'll probably be Ryan Seacrest. Bees and Bees and cornbread. 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 Bees and cornbread.
cornbread out of sight. Bing. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Bing. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. Well, this is our gateway to the weekend right here. This is how weekends start on KTSA and the Jack Riccardi Show. We call this hour The Dish. It's the last hour of the show on Friday, and it's where we ask you to share with all of us a restaurant that you found that's new to you or new period or to sing the praises of an old favorite of yours to tell us where it is and what's good and why we should go there. It can be any kind of restaurant. It can be in any part of town. It can be out of town. It can be down on the coast. It can be in the valley. It can be in the hill country. It can be on I-35 between here and Austin. But all you have to do is tell us about your most recent restaurant experience, the food, the price, the service, by calling 210-599-5555. It's not not really a restaurant review. It's more like just telling a friend. 210-599-5555. You can praise or zing. That is dangerous. That is a dangerous thing Mm. to say. And so that's something that I have to call out. I'm going to move on. Okay. Uh, praise or zing, 210-599-5555. The only rule, please have the complete correct name of the restaurant that you're calling about. That's what we're doing. Phone lines are open for you right now. You may have had this in your mind on Tuesday or Wednesday because you went out last weekend and you've been waiting and now is that time. In fact, I'm, I'm going to tell you about a place last weekend because I had a, a friend of mine come in from Houston and he's a restaurant guy loves to try restaurants and ordinarily when he visits san antonio he will tell me where he wants to go i mean he doesn't come off and he comes a couple of times a year but he always has some place that he's read about in texas monthly or whatever and we go there and to be honest i think a lot of the places that he reads about in these magazines and websites are kind of overrated but this time, he really didn't have an idea. He said, well, where, what do you recommend? And so I had a place in mind that we were going to go. And um, as fate would have it, we had waited a little too long. And when we got there, uh, it was there was a wait. And it was going to push us past their closing time. So now I was having, we've all been through this situation, right? Now you're like on your phone, you're scrambling. What's around? What What can we get into? This was Saturday night. What's going to be open? I needed a place that would probably stay open until 10 o'clock because I wanted to have dinner and, you know, sit and talk. And we wound up uh, going to this uh, place called Sushi Shima in Castle Hills. It's a Japanese restaurant. And I knew the name Sushi, I can't say it, Sushi Shima um, because I know the one in the vineyard at Blanco in 1604, but this is apparently another outpost of, of the same restaurant, same name. And it's uh, on Northwest Military Highway in Castle Hills. It was uh, kind of a fallback, but it turned out to be really good. Very nice inside. Very nice people. Um, great sushi. Uh, great appetizers and drinks and so forth. And so um, it it actually kind of worked out well. It was one of those accidental fallback places that wound up really being a good, a good experience. A place I definitely would want to go back to. So praise for Sushi Shima. 2211 Northwest Military Highway in Castle Hills. Musicians are uh, apparently just warming up tonight. Uh, 210-599-5555. You can make the call, praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience. Maybe you've got a good place to take dads for Father's Day, or maybe you had a special occasion this week that you celebrated. Maybe you took your new graduate out for a, uh, a dinner or a celebration, or maybe you... 
uh, went to a new restaurant or one that's new to you. Let's hear about it. 210-599-5555. It's easy to do, and any kind of restaurant will do it. A lot of talk about electric cars these days. We were talking this week about EVs and so forth. And I was reading today that Toyota is um, experimenting with putting in a pretend manual transmission in their electric cars. In other words, putting in a stick shift in their electric cars. Now, electric cars don't don't need a shifter. And they certainly don't have a manual transmission. But they're trying to create more tactile experiences in electric cars. One of the things people are noticing about electric cars is they're very sterile. There's no noise. There's no. There's not much driver experience. So what if there was a shifter that you could throw and move around? And, and, and with it, they would have uh, recorded engine revving noises. You know, Toyota's a smart company. I don't mean to mock them. I mean, they're, they're, they're probably the biggest automaker in the world. I think they are. They're a very smart company. I admire a lot of things they do. Seems kind of crazy, doesn't it? Putting a pretend shifter in an electric car? You know, um, <laughs> it's silly. It's kind of, it's almost kind of embarrassed. You're like you're embarrassed for them, you know, or something. I don't know. So they're, they're, uh, not the only ones. Apparently other, uh, car companies are experimenting with basically soundtracks of fake engine sounds that will be incorporated into future electric cars. For example, if you have a muscle car or a high-performance electric car, it might make the kind of revving, roaring noises that you know muscle cars in the 60s and 70s made. And uh, I wonder if people would accept that and like that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm laughing at it, and maybe that's what people want. Or would that only emphasize even more that you were in an electric car? You know, it's almost kind of sad. How do you feel about that? Fake engine noises and a fake shifter in an electric car. Or, you know, you could just drive a gasoline-powered car. There's always that option, at least for now. All right, 210-599-5555. We're talking restaurants on the dish on a Friday night. It's what we do. And JR is... On the radio, happy Friday. Good evening. Welcome to the show. Happy Friday. Glad to be back, sir. Calling about Montana Mike and New Braunfels. Oh, yeah, right there on 35, right? Yes, sir. It's, uh, I've got a praise and a zing okay. uh, for the restaurant. So the praise is, of course, the appetizers, the uh, potato boats, they call them. Just absolutely perfect. They got that right amount of crunch in the on the... Uh, on the outside, and then it just kind of melts with the cheese on the inside. Mm-hmm. And they go, those go great, followed by a steak. They make a great steak, but the zing is the atmosphere itself. And by atmosphere, oh. I don't mean the uh, the, the restaurant uh, operation, but I mean like the air itself. Um, it, it's just really humid inside. You can feel <laughs> the AC going. It's just, it's really humid inside, and it makes the uh, the furniture all real sticky, and it almost feels dirty. Ooh. Have you ever gotten into like a into like a hot car? Been sitting yeah. outside all day. The furniture is huh. a little little sticky from outside. You get the AC going, it dries out, but 
it's just the air inside there. You just lay your arms on yeah. the table or on the booth, and it kind of oh. sticks to you. Yeah. Gross. Yeah, that's not that doesn't sound too good. Now, let me ask you this, uh, Jr. Have you been there more than once, or? Yes. Yeah, I've been there twice. I just moved okay. to Brothels a few months ago, and it's mm-hmm. it's uh. It, it's was it like that both? But, was it like that both times that you went? No, it was the second time that I noticed. Um, the first time, I was seated kind of closer to the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could still feel it in the air, but the furniture was not sticky. Maybe they put yeah. something on the, you know, they wiped it down. But the second time I went, they kind yeah. of placed this way in the way in the back, and it, yeah. it, you know, maybe they just didn't wipe it down and they forgot to wipe it down or. I don't, I don't know what happened. Maybe the forgot to pay the AC bill or something, but it was just real, <laughs> really sticky, yeah. you know. Yeah, that, I know exactly what you're describing. Yeah, I, I, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be cool. Um, I have seen that sign a gazillion times. I've never been in there. I've always wondered about it. So um, maybe I'll wait for uh, maybe I'll just wait for cooler weather. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I'll get those potato boats. All right, sir. Appreciate you. Have a good night. Praise and zing for Montana Mike's. That is dangerous. That is a dangerous thing to say. And so yes. that's something that I have to call out. I'm going to move yes. on. Uh, 1153 Oasis Street in New Braunfels. You can see the big sign from the highway, Montana Mike's. 210-599-5555. All right, we're talking restaurants on the dish. We're going to get right back to your calls on this. Um, and uh, along the way, we'll pick up votes and get the results on our JR poll for the end of the hour. Uh, Tim is next on the dish tim happy friday welcome happy friday to you jack and uh hope you have a good father's day as well oh thank you sir i hope you do too hey you're welcome hey uh, for one you said about the electric cars earlier i enjoy electric cars and the sophistication and the performance but when i want to feel that testosterone i'm gonna go get one of my toys out of the garage i gotta i gotta hear that when i turn that key that 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 engine just roars so that's yeah, I don't think a recording of an engine is going to be as uh, the same experience. I might as well go to an arcade. <laughs> there you go. That's what I was thinking. You know? yeah. yeah. I mean, it's know? like when you were a kid and you were riding your bike and you were making like engine noises, you know. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> basically what we're coming to. Anyway, I'm with a, you on put that. A cart, put a caught on a balloon uh, where my wheel is and get that balloon sound. I, 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 exactly. I, 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 but uh, the restaurant y'all mentioned before, it's just something simple and everything like that. But that was that chicken salad chick. Uh, I had heard y'all mention it before. Mm-hmm. And I happened to be uh, going to the Sprouts, the new Sprouts that opened up down 151 West. And I seen, I said, that's that restaurant they mentioned. So I went in there because I was looking for something alternative-wise that was healthy instead of getting something fried or just getting a burger with bread and things of that nature. And so I went in there, and, and it was pleasant. You know, I got the uh, – it was the chicken salad with uh, grapes and I think some pecans and stuff like that in it, and it was the salad over some uh, different greenery and things of that, and it was delicious. And my wife, uh, she got uh, the turkey toasted bread turkey sandwich, and mm-hmm. she says, oh, this is good. And, you know, for a, a healthy alternative mm. uh, to something that's light, and things like that, opposed to some of a lot of other fast food places. You know what? I give it a thumbs up, and I'll, I'll good. go back there again. Good. Yeah, I mean, I've, it's been interesting to hear the calls about it. Um, I guess they have a lot of different kinds of chicken salad and 
kind of other things that spin off of that. And I didn't know there was one on 151 because the ones we were getting the calls on were the one, was the one up on uh, 281. So I guess there's two of them okay. now. Yeah, I guess it just opened up because I didn't even know it was a new Sprout uh, out there. Well, that 151 area is, that's like a whole new city over there, right? Uh, yes, it is. And, you know, we're looking at going uh, in that, that Del Webb Resort. But, oh, yeah, one other thing I had, and it was delicious. Uh, I had the broccoli salad that had uh, just different things in it, but the flavor was good. Mm. Uh, it was enjoyable. And we both just enjoyed it. And just for a light little meal, if you just want to yeah. go grab some something like that, it's a great little place to go to. That sounded good. I like that sound of that salad, too. Tim, I hope you have a wonderful uh, weekend. I'm glad to hear from you. And praise from Tim for Chicken Salad Chick at 9610 Texas 151 or up on 281, two locations for Chicken Salad Chick. All right, 210-599-5555. As we talk restaurants on the dish on a Friday night, making our way to the results on the River City Oral Surgery JR poll. And Angela is next. Happy Friday, Angela. Good afternoon, Jack. Hey, uh, in regards to your electric car story, I have only ever driven stick shifts and, oh, a fake shifter and piped in noise, forget it. I'll stick with my Corolla six-speed. That is that just is weird, right? To ha- I mean, it would be embarrassing to have a car that was pretending to be something else, right? Exactly, exactly. As for dining out, my husband and I had date night last Saturday at a wonderful place we'd never been to before called Sidecar, 295 East San Antonio in New Braunfels. It's right next door to their sister restaurant, Muck and Fuss. And it's beneath the historic Prince Psalms Hotel. Oh, yeah. It is cocktails and tapas, and you have to make reservations for it. But it's wonderful. We had carried a charcuterie board that was very generous. Uh, It came with a a fig jelly that was stupendous on the crackers. And then we also ordered... uh, as a former Mainer, I couldn't resist, uh, ordered the lobster rolls. So you get two lobster rolls per plate, and they were $17. And they were really generous portions of lobster. Yeah. And Boy, it is rare to find a lobster roll in this part of the country. I'm shocked that they even have that. It, it, wasn't, the, it wasn't Red Eats up in Maine, but it was as right. good as I was expecting this right. area. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I understand that it's not going to be it's not going to be main level, but just to even find it on the menu that's really that's very interesting. I, I I didn't know that they had food there. I knew there was a bar. I didn't know that they had some. It sounds like maybe not a full menu, but maybe like a kind of like you said tapas and appetizers yeah. and stuff. Is that safe Correct. to say? Correct. Yeah. Yes, it's strictly tapas. Uh, and when you say reservations are required, is that because it's very small or it's just very popular or both? I think. Okay. We had reservations for 7.30, and we got there about quarter of 7. They were able to get us in mm. at, right away, and they give you kind of a two-hour window to enjoy your meal and the live music, and then they ask you to vacate your table, and you're welcome to go hang out at the bar if you'd like. But gotcha. they always have another reservation ready to go. There was a gentleman like- there playing uh, jazz tunes on a piano, 
And then when he finished, about an hour later, another band showed up playing, like, 30s and 40s era music. We hung out at the bar for a little while after our meal, and just watching these um, bartenders create cocktails was entertaining in and of itself. So overall, it's just a wonderful evening out, yeah. not for the faint-hearted in, or light in the budget. So... No, I understand. Yeah, no, it, it sounds like it, sa- it sounds like a nice. It sounds like a, you you said it was a date night, and it sounds like a perfect perfect idea for a date night or just a maybe a break from a a long day in New Braunfels. But Angela, thank you. Good to hear from you. And uh, Maine representing here on the dish with praise for Sidecar at two ninety five East San Antonio Street in New Braunfels. Sidecar on the dish. Jack Riccardi, late afternoon show. We're wrapping up the day and the week, and we do on Fridays. We we take this hour, carve this hour out of the uh, show, and we call it the dish, and we talk about restaurants, and we talk about them the way you would talk to a friend or a coworker, not a not a restaurant review or anything like that. Just hey, you know, you ought to try this place, or boy, we just came back, and this is what we had. It was really great. You can praise or zing when you call two ten five nine nine fifty five. 55. I was, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about Father's Day coming up and the poll results are coming up. I was in Austin last weekend for part of the weekend and um, I wanted to try this pizza place that I've been hearing about that I don't think we have here yet, but it's in Austin and it's in Houston and it's in a few other places um, called Home Slice. And people rave about, you know, people talk to me about pizza, I think, because of my name and that I obviously like to eat pizza. But um, I, I always have to check myself because I, I'm kind of a snob about it. You know, I'm kind of, I, I really know what I like and I know how I think it should be. So when you give me a pizza recommendation, I, I, I have a little bit of skepticism. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it, but I might not go in with the enthusiasm you want me to. But anyway, um, Home Slice Pizza is on South Congress. That's the area I was in. They call it Soco. And it was pretty good. I only had a slice, uh, and it was the margarita. I'd like to go back and try uh, some other kinds, but I was I was impressed. It was, it was pretty good. It was very, very well done. One of the biggest knocks on pizza is when it's undercooked. You want that crust to be really well done, have a little bit of crunch to it. It was good. I, I, I would try it again. And so far, I like what I... What I see, they have, uh, I think, three or four of them in Austin, and I know they have some in Houston as well. It'll probably come here eventually. It's called Home Slice. There was also a place um, that I had lunch on Saturday, and Tim mentioned healthy, and when you're trying to eat healthy, and I was trying to be a little healthy. If I was going to have pizza later on, I was trying to be a little bit healthy. So anyway, um, went to a place. This was recommended to me in Austin called Vinaigrette. It's like the salad dressing, Vinaigrette. It's at 2201 College Avenue which is right right at South Congress. You can see it from South Congress. And um, it's a very interesting space. It's like it's some sort of, I don't know what this building was before it was a restaurant, but it wasn't a restaurant. They've, they've taken an old building, 
that looks like it was maybe built in the 40s or 50s. Kind of a mid-century modern kind of looking building. And it's pretty cool inside. They've done a nice job with it. Uh, very bright, airy, a lot of windows. It's uh, salads and soups, and I think they have some cocktails. And what I had was a was a salad that you can design your own, or they have a, a huge variety of them. But it was a much better salad than like a lot of these places that have come out now, where it's build your own, and you, you know, they're okay. This is better than that. So I would say it's a cut above those places. And um, and then they make some sodas and some drinks. And I had a pina colada soda. It wasn't an alcoholic drink. It was just pina colada flavored. It tasted very fresh and very, like, light. And uh, I really liked the place. I would, I, I'm not a big salad guy, but if you're looking for something healthy and on a really hot day, you don't want anything too heavy, vinaigrette. 2201 College Avenue in Austin, South Austin. All right, 210-599-5555. Poll results coming up. Praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience on the dish. Let's go with Mike on KTSA. Mike, happy Friday. Happy Friday. Happy Father's Day, Jack. Um, Oh, same to you. I actually have two restaurants for you. Um, Okay. One is... The Gunther House, which I'd never been to, but a friend of mine from Houston said that his, he and his wife would drive over here just to go to breakfast there. I think we needed to go check that out, and we did on Saturday. It was really great. It was like an hour away, but we weren't in a hurry, and it's just a mm-hmm. cool place. It's a 19th century home, uh, the, the original home builder, so it's a museum and a restaurant, and it's next to the Pioneer Flour Mill, still in operation, mm-hmm. but... Um, just a, like a big, you can see the home is like Victorian style as you're, as you're waiting, but food was really good. Um, my wife had a, a Belgian waffle and a couple other things, and then they have these really um, large biscuits. So I wanted to just try them. So I just ordered a, a biscuit, some gravy on the side, a, you know, like a scrambled egg on the side just to taste it. All really, really excellent. Just a really cool place. It's in the I mean, it's known here. It's like in the Southtown Kingwood yeah. District area. Yeah, Blue Star area. Yeah. Um, yep. Really, really was really a great place to go. Um, and then this week, we also went to a Vietnamese restaurant on Hebner and Bagcock called, it's called Beauchure. Great name. Um, so I know they pronounce it Fa, I guess, but um, it's in that right on the corner of Hebner and, and Babcock, there's a, a strip center. And it's just a small mm-hmm. place, family-owned restaurant. I've uh, been there two or three times recently. And um, we had – the fall was great, so I asked the, the owner what he recommended. Um, and I can't pronounce it. It's like Bosch, Shalom. But it was this beef, <laughs> like slices, saute with onions, um, mm-hmm. with your noodles and everything, really outstanding. Um, and we had like a crab stir-fry one time. And then another time we went back and we had a, they have a combo that had beef, meatballs, um, chicken, shrimp, all mixed. My wife and I shared that, and we got these mm. crab rangoons. Um, yeah, my son, we took my son this week, and he had that same one we had the first time. It was really good. It, it's like twelve, maybe eleven or twelve dollars. You know, it's a it's a uh, good sized portion when you get that. Mm. 
But, I've uh, been by there. I've, I've I've driven past that place. I've seen it. What is it like inside? Because I've been curious about it. Nice, um, you know, clean. I, I I met the owners. It's fam. They're you know family. They're the, the husband and wife. They're from Vietnam, and they have two sons. Um, they just clean and and yeah. they're you know they're fast. It was just really good, laid back kind of place. Yeah. Um, you know, they're they're open for lunch and dinner. So we were there at lunchtime. And I had a you know decent crowd, but uh, you know clean place because I know sometimes you go in and it's like mm, you're, you see the you see the inside and and yeah. uh, that doesn't seem clean, but but they keep it up and and uh, just we really enjoyed, we really liked it every time we've been. That's great. No, I'm glad you, I'm glad to hear about that. And yeah, the Gunther House is like it's a it's such a great way to spend a Saturday or Sunday morning. And like you said, best thing is to not be in a hurry. Uh, because you will wait, and then you'll want to linger too. I mean, when you're there, you don't want to yep. leave quickly. So they don't take reservations. You, know, you can't call ahead. You just yeah. you don't have to. That plenty of people coming in. Nice, so, nice yeah, San Antonio really tradition. Good Absolutely. job on both of those, Mike. Great to hear from you. Have a great weekend. Thank you, sir, Mike. With praise for Gunther House, two hundred five Gunther Street and Fush Shore. 8822 Hebner Road and Babcock. 8822 Hebner for both of those. All right, 210 599 5555. Praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience. And don't forget, it's Father's Day on Sunday. So if any of these places sound good, maybe it's a good place to take dad. Maybe you've got an idea now or some ideas for dad. Or maybe dad, you know, wants to do something else. Or maybe dad doesn't want to go anywhere for Father's Day. You know, I think there are probably dads that are like, I just want everybody to come to me. I'm staying put. I want to command performance. That's okay, too. He gets that. Thank God it's... They called it the G7, the Build Back Biden, Build Back Better. And we realized that got confusing. So now we don't call it that. What we call it is, here's the bottom line. Look, we're the ones that caused the problem. The United States, we cleared all our land. We did oh. all the things that to make our make things mm. work easy for us to make what? money. What? When he talks, it's like have you ever seen those magnetic? Um, they're like words and letters, and they're on a fr- like a refrigerator, and it's like a time killer. You can rearrange them and make them into a message or a saying or a poem. But w- with Biden. The words are all there, but you've got to put them in order. You've got to make something of them. He just gives you a bunch of words. Here's a bunch of words. Uh, see if you can do something with this. Let me know. That's how he talks. On the uh, JR poll, powered by River City Oral Surgery, um, because the average home thermostat setting in Texas, apparently, from what I read, I don't know if this is true, the average is 75 in summer. I would be freezing my guayonis off. 75, stuff would be snapping off me. Couldn't do that. I, I can do like, uh, uh, 77 is, is okay, but sometimes that gets a little chilly for me. 78 is pretty good, sometimes not enough, but I'm, I'm right there, 77, 78. If I could do like 77.5, I'd probably be fine. So we asked you, where is your th- home thermostat uh, these days? On the JR poll, here's what we found. Uh, 61% keep it over 75. So three out of five people are, are, are above the average uh, for Texas. 27% are under 75. 
uh, so that they're like they can see their breath, their house. And 11% have it right at 75. That's the JR poll powered by River City Oral Surgery. We'll have a new one come Monday at 4. Uh, when we're live, you can find this show as an on-demand podcast at ktsa.com and listen anytime this weekend. Just look for The Jack Riccardi Show wherever you like to get your other podcasts. Uh, the Dish continues now with Brad's call. Hi, Brad. Not me, Brad. Yes. Hi, Brad. Is it Brad? Am I saying it right? No, it's Fred. Fred? It's it Fred? Fred? Well, Fred. that's who I am, Jack. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um. So I'm sorry. I I guess maybe our producer heard your name wrong. So your name is is Fred, right? Okay, I'm sorry, Fred. Well, talk to me. What's oh, uh, what's just, going I, on? What do we have? Uh, well, I just wanted to put a good word in for El Chaparral. I'm sure you've had a bunch of calls already for for that restaurant out on Oh yeah, yeah. Bandera Road uh, mm-hmm. around Halotis area. Yeah. Yeah, I just yeah, I love uh, that place. Had had dinner there right with my. Uh, son and daughter-in-law and grandkids and uh, we had some fajitas and enchiladas and southwest chicken it was very good and by the way they're uh, selling now these kind of uh, mugs that uh, you can uh, you get a margarita in and, uh, and then uh, of course when you come back you know your margarita's a little cheaper oh i didn't know that okay yeah yeah very um nice. yeah nice. that's great i love that place yeah, have you ever been to the other one? Have you ever been to the one uh, on uh, Redland Road? Uh, no, I don't think I have. Oh, okay. We we mostly get calls about the one you're you're calling about in Holotus, uh, but they also have one at sixteen oh four in Redland. That's that's pretty good too. But I think yours yeah. is the original one and where it all got started. Right. Well, Brad, I'm glad yeah, you called about that, sir. Yeah. Well, I remember a few years ago too. Yeah, I brought my grandma out here when. Um, we we used to go to Bandera to the Bandera Downs racetrack and we'd stop off there and it was just a little hole in the wall and the tables were up against each other you couldn't even hardly move around in the place and yeah and and uh, you know the owner said uh, he was going to expand and do all of this and everything he was a little nervous about it I said oh, I don't think you have to worry about anything no just do it just do it <laughs> yep you and gave him good I advice just saw online too by the way that they opened up. Uh, I think the one in Bernie they had closed down, but now they reopened it again. I just oh. saw, uh, heard a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, excellent, very good. Yeah. More cool. the better. Right, well, sir. I hope you have a good. I hope you have a good weekend, and I appreciate your calling the dish. Thank you. Yeah, and we love your show, Jack. You Thank you. I'm and I'm sorry about the good. name mix up. We'll, we'll. I promise we'll get it right next time. Thank you, sir. <laughs> um, yeah, let me let me jump in here and apologize to Fred. Fred. Yes. Not Brad. Not Brad. It's okay. Um, that's okay. But I uh, can I tell the can I tell the story? Sure. Okay. So when we get to this point in the show, <laughs> Don will say to me, um, "Do you think we can take one more call?" And and a lot of times I'm 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 a little hesitant because we're up against a hard out. We have the show cannot end late because of network commitments. And I'm like, well, if you feel like we can, you know, take care of business, and you you cannot imagine. I'm not exaggerating, right, Don? Mm-mm. Nope. You cannot imagine how many times <laughs> some sort of fiasco occurs mm-hmm. right before the hard out, 
And we're like, oh, why did we? So, and it's not your fault. You don't know. I mean, it's my job to get us out on time, not you as a caller. But um, I started to worry a little bit there. But we, but we pulled it off. Well, I, we, it, and I even said, this will be a good call. An, a, we a pulled most it out. excellent call. And, um, but and, that, well, and that, he, this man has good taste because El Chaparral rocks. I love both of the locations, the Lotus one and the Redland one. Yeah, so yes, it does. Yeah. Right on the money about that. Can't Sorry, go wrong Fred. With either. I apologize, Fred. <laughs> it's Fred, is it? Is it Fred? It will be Fred forever now. It's going to be Fred whether it's Fred or not. We're, we're keeping it Fred. At this point, right said Fred. All right. Um, on that note, um, just want to wish all the dads uh, very happy Father's Day and all the dads in heaven. You know, dad in heaven, if your dad has, has, has passed on, just think of it this way. He has the best seat in the house for your life. He can see everything you're doing. And he's proud of you. He's happy with what you're doing and how you're living. We'll leave you with Cindy Lauper and have a great weekend. See you live here Monday at 4.